And you asked me, and I was like, move my vacation. I'd do anything for Oprah. Oh. And that's why, because, you know, people are usually on vacation and just sort of getting back into the new year. But the fact that you said yes so immediately, when we were actually uh, having a conversation that ended up in Elle magazine, and you were so forthcoming and so honest, that I was like, we need to be sharing this with some people on a stage. So thank you. Thank you so much. So we've been talking about vision, and everyone gave up their Saturday to come out and start the process of getting clarity for their own vision. They knew you were coming too, so I think you were part of it. Uh. I think I think this stadium would have been full without me, Oprah. I'm pretty sure you can fill a, no, but I think <laughs> fill it's, a room. <laughs> I think it's the whole package that people are seeking higher ground for themselves. People are looking to make the best life possible for And them. you know what? What? I want that for every person in this room, and I want it for the world. Yes. Absolutely. I want to know when you got clarity for yourself about the vision of creating Gaga. Well, you know, at first, when I was younger, I, I went through a lot of struggles in high school. I was really bullied. I didn't feel good about myself. And I got made fun of, like, why do you want to be a singer? Why do you want to be a musician? Why do you want to be an actress? And I, I felt so secluded and isolated. And uh, it, it was time, once I dropped out of college, I will admit, <laughs> to stay in school. Um, uh, but I dropped out of college because I was like, I, I have to pursue my dreams as a musician. This is what I want. And it was uh, in creating Gaga that I was able to create a superhero for myself. It was a vision for the me that I wanted to be. I wanted to be confident. I wanted to be uh, filled with self-compassion. I wanted to be filled with compassion for others. And I wanted to share my story and my vision of the world with the world and so you created this sort of alter person gaga who, who now has become me also i mean yes. i don't know what happened but it just sort of went, but but that's what happens when you have a vision for yourself you see you, you can be here right and then you have your vision and then all of a sudden the two merge they come together you become aligned yes and you say that lady gaga Create, the creation of Gaga actually gave Stephanie the wings to fly. Gaga, myself, has given me the wings to fly. And what I was going to you know, add is that now, after almost over a decade of being in the industry, I really recognize my position that people are watching me. Now, I could hyper-focus on being objectified or being in tabloids or being gossiped about. But you know what? I'm thinking to myself, oh, the world is watching, and I have something important to say, and I want to change people's lives, and now my mission is different, and I have a responsibility to this whole world. Yes. Because one of the things that we discussed in Elle, I, I, one of the things that surprised me when we talked about it in, in uh, the recent Elle magazine, you were saying, I was saying, you have spent a lot of time shocking the world, that meat dress was the first time we all like were kind of aghast. And you said you have now reached a point in your life where you don't feel the need to create some identity of shocker, shocking people. 
Yes, I think it was something that I enjoyed uh, uh, to bemuse people, you know, so that they would listen to the music and that there was sort of a state of confusion of who is this woman? I don't really, I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's kind of like, you know, watching a train wreck, <laughs> you know? But the truth is that that was part of my art form, was how do I get people to see and watch and listen and become engaged with me on a personal level, even though it felt quite superficial, I think, for a lot of people. And it's changed since then because, number one, uh, it's no longer shocking to have pink hair. Uh, and uh, number two, uh, I think the most shocking thing that I could possibly do is be completely vulnerable and honest with you about my life, how what I've been through, the struggles that I've seen, that I've also been a part of, and share that with the world so that I can help other people who are suffering. And one of those things that I deeply care about is mental health. Yes. Gaga has agreed so graciously to be a part of a series that I'm doing for Apple TV with Prince Harry on mental health and she's agreed to allow us actually to follow her through a lot of the process. One of the things that struck me when you were at the Oscars and everybody started whispering about was it true that you and Bradley were or were not or were not or were not and, and Gaga, tell them what you told me. I said we did a really good job at fooling everyone. <laughs> Because they're actors. We created that. They created the whole thing. Because it wouldn't have worked if you didn't believe that they were in love. I mean, I don't know if everyone here knows who Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire were, but would you have wanted to watch them perform and look like they hated each other? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I loved was your speech where you laid it all out there in the few seconds that you had. You said, if you're home and you're watching this right now, all I have to say is this is hard work. I've worked hard for a long time, and it's not about just winning. It's about not giving up. And if you have a dream, fight for it. And this is a part I love so much, y'all. This is worth a quote. There's a discipline for passion. And it's not about how many times you get rejected or you fall down or you've been beaten up. It's how many times you stand up and are brave and you keep on going. I just love that. There's a discipline for passion. Thank you. There is, there is a discipline for passion. And guess what? This book that you've given everyone today, yes. this entire event, this is also an exercise in a discipline of passion for yourself. This is the time that is for you, to give back to you. When you give back to yourself, you sit in a state of gratitude and then you are able to give to those around you and be kind. That is how we heal the world. So, someone had asked you, what do you see when you look at that Oscar and you say you see a lot of pain? And was that because of the hard work or is that because of the actual physical, mental pain that you had to go through up until that moment to get it? Well, uh, it's not a huge secret, but some of you might not know in the uh, audience tonight or who's watching, uh, but I struggle with mental health issues and I struggle also with uh, chronic pain, uh, 
some call it fibromyalgia uh, or neuropathic pain. What does that mean, fibromyalgia? What does that mean? That is a very big question, Oprah. So fibromyalgia is essentially a chronic pain condition that makes uh, your body hurt uh, through your brain. Now, someone that might be watching this that has it might be saying, don't tell me that my fibromyalgia is in my head because my whole body hurts. And even sitting here with you today, I am in head-to-toe pain. But what's interesting about it is that I have found through neuropsych research and my relationship with my doctors that fibromyalgia can be treated through mental health therapy. And mental health is a medical condition. It should be treated as a medical condition. It should not be ignored. And I... So, so twice you've said you have mental health issues. Yes. What does that mean for you? Because as I was sharing with you on the phone, I have a girls' school with girls who've come from traumatic backgrounds. Yes. And I didn't know until I started the school, because I had this idea that I'm going to create the school and everybody's going to come and they're going to get an education, they're going to go out in the world and everything's going to be fabulous. I had no idea the impact that trauma yes. has on your mental health well i've shared this with you and i will share it again very vulnerably with all of you i could open my book and read it but i'll just tell you so i was raped repeatedly when i was 19 years old and i also uh developed ptsd and as a result of the rape as a result of being raped uh and uh also uh not uh, processing that trauma uh, I did not have anyone help me. I did not have a therapist. I did not have a psychiatrist. I did not have a doctor help me through it. I just all of a sudden became a star and was traveling the world, going from hotel room to garage to limo to, to stage, and I never dealt with it. And then all of a sudden, I started to experience this incredible, intense pain throughout my entire body that mimicked, actually, the illness that I felt after I was raped. So what that Were is Were you called, raped by someone you knew? I was raped by someone that I knew repeatedly. Um, and it was a, uh, a trauma response. So when you asked me about what fibromyalgia is, what I would like for you to know and to shine a light on is that many people don't know what it is and we need to all get together and figure this out. And this is how we're going to do it. There's the neuropsych aspect. There's also an immunity aspect that where there is a possibility that the immune system has something to do with fibromyalgia or trauma response or neuropathic pain, whatever you want to call it. And there's also some similarities uh, in my condition to autoimmune diseases, but fibromyalgia is not an autoimmune disease. So what I take an oath as a commitment today with you is it's 2020 and for the next decade and maybe longer I'm going to get the smartest scientists doctors psychiatrists mathematicians researchers and professors in the same room together and we are going to go through each problem one by one and we are going to solve this mental health crisis So when you are raped and you have no way of processing that, um, 
the triggers come in all forms in ways that you cannot predict and show up in your life in areas that at, at the time you don't know that this is mental illness. You shared with me that you became a cutter. I did. And I that, have scars. And that you have scars from cutting. Can you explain to me, because I have girls at my school who cut, and I, I still to this day don't understand what it means. And I know if you are in this audience, some of you have raised daughters who were cutters. Yes. What, 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 what is that? Well, I like to say I used to cut. Yeah. Um, as opposed to saying cutter. And I, I think I did say that with you, with yes. you in our interview. Um, I love you too, sweetheart. Um, uh, I like to say I used to cut as opposed to I am a cutter because then that like, like I, then I identify with it yeah. and that's not healthy for me. And when you speak things out into existence, you're feeding back something to your brain that right, you don't want right, to. Right, right, right. So I used to cut. Cutting for me, I believe, uh, happens uh, for a variety of reasons. I also used to throw myself against the wall. I mean, I used to do some horrible things to myself when I was in pain. And the truth is, is there's two reasons I believe that this happens. And this is my own personal expertise just from my experience. Is that for half a second, right, if you cut, you get some relief from the other pain that you're feeling because you have pain somewhere else. But then after... What happens is, is then you see the blood, and then you feel chaotic, and then it, you spiral more and more out of control, and it is actually not helpful in any way, and it is going to make your spiral worse. It, it will make the, the uh, neurotic state that you're in something that is um, going to be prolonged instead of shortening the amount of time that you're in it. Uh, another reason, though, that people cut also is to show. And my mom and I always say with Born This Way Foundation, tell me, don't show me. So sometimes I would cut because I didn't want to feel pain. And other times I would cut because I wanted to show people that I was in so much pain. That you were in pain. That I needed help. Yeah. And so... When you were speaking on stage at the Oscars about working, it's not about winning, it's about never giving up. All the times you were beaten up and you kept getting up, what kept you getting up? All of you. And women like you. Faith inspiration, hope, and I also have to say, I have to say it, and I know that this is controversial in a lot of ways, but medicine really helped me. And I, I, I think a lot of people are afraid of medicine for their brains to help them, and I really want to just erase the stigma around this because I, I'm sick of saying it over and over and over again. And also, by the way, if your primary care doctor is, is um, prescribing you an antidepressant, this should not be happening. Your primary care doctor should be 
introducing you to a psychiatrist who is an expert in brain medication. And what, what moves me so much in this space and why I want to work so heavily and much more thoroughly through it in the future is that not everybody has access to these things and not everybody has the money for these things. And I want the money for it. I want the best doctors in the world and I want us to understand the brain and all get on the same page about it so that Gen Z does not have to deal with this the way that we are right now. Mental health is a crisis. And so medication has helped you. Medication's helped me tremendously. I mean, I, I take an antipsychotic. I'm, I'm in the 1.4 percentile of people that do. Um, but and if you didn't take that medicine, what would happen? What would your life be like? Um, I would, I would spiral, spiral very frequently, and I would spasm in my sleep. Wow. So are you able to remain creative in the midst of the pain? Yes. Really? Yes, and that has come from both medicine, therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy. DBT therapy, yes. DBT therapy, yes. yes. And also, it's come through something that I learned through DBT, which is called radical acceptance. I am sitting here with arguably the most powerful woman on the planet. Oh, thank you. And I have radically accepted that I will put my shame in a box all the way over there and make it very small mm. and say to myself, I have mental health issues. I take a lot of medication to stay on board. And I'm a survivor. And I'm living and I'm thriving and I'm strong and I'm going to take all my life experiences and I'm going to share them with the world and make it a better place. Wow. Which is what we've been talking about today, that you can't move forward with anything in your life until there is actual radical acceptance. You have got to, I have, I had, I mean, listen, I needed it like a glass of wine when they told me this. I remember sitting with my doctor, <laughs> his name's Andy. And Andy's like, you need to radically accept that you're going to be in pain every day. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, that's how I'm going to heal? It's just by accepting that I'm going to feel awful all the time. I'm going to be in head-to-toe pain constantly. And he said, you have to radically accept it. And guess what? It took a little while, but I did. And you know what else happened after that? What? Slowly, the pain dissipated. Slower and slower and slower and then all of a sudden I can function because I was on the I was on the couch Oprah I was laid out I could not move I was being assessed by doctors to see if they could eat I had a psychotic break I told you this in our uh, our interview before yes they were just trying to see if they could get me to move at one point and radical acceptance was key also being open to taking medicine and also being open to talking about my trauma. And it's one of the hardest things that any human can face. And it's a lot easier to go home and pour, have a bottle of wine or two or three, right? 
Like, just numb it all away. Right. Or dig deep. Well, I think this idea of radical acceptance applies to every crisis, every difficulty, every challenge in your life, is what I was saying earlier, that all stress comes from wanting something to be what it isn't, and it doesn't change until you first accept it for what it is, and then make a decision about what do I do next. It's, it's, it's problem solving. You know, it's uh, something in DBT that they teach you is about emotions, and then uh, uh, I'll explain it. So if I say um, uh, I am upset, right? Then I'll say, why am I upset? And then I will write down all the reasons, and then I will check the facts. And if the emotion of feeling upset fits the facts, then I'll go to the next stage, and I will say, okay, what action am I going to take now to solve this problem? So if I'm upset because I'm in pain, right, then what's my action going to be? I'm going to take my medication that's going to help me. I'm going to reach out to a friend or my doctor and tell them that I'm not feeling well. And I'm going to try to get to the core of the issue inside of me and speak it out into existence and do the cognitive work to say, I am upset because today I am triggered about being raped when I was 19 and I'm having a trauma response and I'm going to take my medication and I'm going to try to calm down my nervous system as much as possible so that this pain dissipates. And that's the process for you. That is the process. That's one of many processes. I can I can get triggered by lots of different things, by movies, things that people say. I could get triggered by this conversation. Yeah. I'm not. Whatever. I don't want you to be triggered by this conversation. You know what I found interesting? You became famous really quickly, even though there had been so much work put into getting to the point where we then knew you and you became famous. And you made the decision, or have made the decision, that you're not interested in just fame, but you're also looking for impact. I want impact. I always did. I thought it was just through music at one point. I had some dreams of being an actress. And then it really was a spiritual awakening for me. I mean, I consider myself a spiritual religious woman. Um, I don't go to church every Sunday, but I do pray every day. I prayed like eight times before I came out here with you. I was like, God, just tell me what to say. <laughs> and the truth is that once I became famous, I thought to myself, well, I, could, I will, and I, I want to continue making music. I will and want to continue being in movies. But I want to help people. These people that come to my shows, I don't want to just take your money and sing for you. I want to help change your life. And I have all this life experience. And, and I can't, you know, when I talk to God, right? And, you know, whatever you want to call it for yourself. If it's God or the other realm or mm -hmm. your angels or... By any name. By any name. In response. Any gender, right? In response. When I, when I talk to God... I say, tell me what to do, because I'm being watched, and I want to do the right thing here. So tell me what to say. Tell me how to say it, and help me see the path. And if you show me that path, I will walk down it. And do you know what, Oprah? 
look where that path has led me. I am sitting right next to you. Ah. Ah. It does it every time. Asking you shall be given. What has been your greatest spiritual awakening? I think my greatest spiritual awakening actually has been quite recent. I think it's that I realized that I have the chronic pain that I have for a reason. And I don't mean to be like, God gave it to me, you know? And I, I also don't believe in that, like, you know, karma thing where, yeah. like, you're sick because you did something bad. Yeah. But I do believe that this was, this happened for a reason. All the things I've been through, I think they ha they were supposed to happen. I was supposed to go through this. Even the rape? Even the rape. All of it. I think I was supposed to go through all of these things. I radically accept that they happened. And I think it happened because God was saying to me, I'm going to show you pain. And then you're going to help other people who are in pain because you're going to understand it. Because mm. you can't, you can't give what you I don't I can't have. look yeah. away. Because yeah. now when I see someone in pain, I can't look away because I go, oh, no, you're in pain. I'm in pain too. And then now I'm in problem solving mode. I got my suit on and my heels and I'm ready to go. <laughs> yes. So, this wisdom came from this pain. What has been the lesson that's actually taken you the longest to learn? How to be wise. Ah. See, there is the rational mind and there is the emotional mind. And I think from day to day, we all experience ourselves if we're mindful in some type of way, which I think this is good to be mindful about is am I operating from an emotional space today or from a rational space today? Meaning, when I say rational, I mean cerebral, like in intelligence, thoughts, facts, you know, just really pragmatic. And emotional meaning like, am I operating from the heart? Am I really upset because my boyfriend broke up with me and I'm a, I'm a mess, you know, and I'm just being completely irrational. Why sits in the center? Wise is when you are both rational and emotional at the same time, and those two things meet, and you become wise. And that was the lesson that I learned. I mean, I, I had to learn how to pull myself back from either place and then sit in the center, because actually a psychotic break, and if you look in the brain, or it's sort of a metaphor about the brain, it's like if you're centered, you're in here. Because right? you had a psychotic break. Right? I had a psychotic break. I'll, I'll explain what happened. Okay. So here's my brain, right? Here's my center, right? And then I was triggered really badly uh, in a court deposition. Um, and I just, like, this, the, this part of the brain where you stay centered and you don't disassociate, right? It went like this, it slammed down. And my whole body started tingling and I started screaming. Where were you? I was in a hospital. Mm. And it's very, it's very difficult to describe what it feels like other than that you first are completely tingling from head to toe and then you go numb. But what is essentially happening is the brain goes, that's enough. I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't want to feel this anymore. Boom. And, and you literally break from reality as we you, know it. You break from reality as we know it. You have no concept of what's going on around you. There, there is nothing wrong. 
but you are in a traumatic state that you feel like, like I remember going into the hospital and screaming, why is no one else panicking? Why aren't you panicking? And then they brought a psychiatrist in and then I, and I'm in head to toe pain at the same time, right? And they brought in a psychiatrist and I said, can you get me a real doctor? <laughs> and he was like, hey, <laughs> so nice to meet you. And he sat down and I was like, I need medicine. I don't feel well. I can't feel my, like, I, I, help me, right? And then he just said, I need you to explain to me what happened today. And I, I was so annoyed. But I'm, I'm telling you this story because even I, who run Born This Way Foundation with my mother, was irritated that they brought a psychiatrist in to help me. <laughs> I mean, that's how, like, gone I was. I was so separated from the world. And once we started talking, he realized what had happened to me. And then he ordered uh, a medication for me that I took reluctantly at first. And then he became my psychiatrist and assembled a team for me. And I went away to a place that I go to sometimes still for like a reboot. Yeah. And they took care of me and we got all of the things lined up and I have a very unorthodox actually set of pills that I take. Um, but they, they saved my life and I'm very grateful. Well, I think this is this is remarkable that you feel so open-hearted, vulnerable enough to share this. Was there a time when you were afraid of it getting out? Like Gaga's had a psychotic break, y'all. You know, I think I was more scared of the psychotic break itself than I was about people knowing about it. I mean, when your brain like flatlines like that, I mean, it's 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 something I would never want to ever experience ever again. Um, and when that happened, did you were you thinking about your famed life, your life as Lady Gaga? Were you thinking those days may be over? Were you thinking? I, I was thinking two different things. So to answer your first question, at some point I had to tell people because I can't live a lie. I'm an authentic person and here I am and I'm, I'm perfectly imperfect, you know? It's like, and we all are. And, and we all have our things that we go through. And I just felt like, why wouldn't I share this when I share all of myself with the world all the time? And I could maybe help people that have had psychotic breaks or maybe are on the verge of having one and, you know, spread my message. And the, But when I was there, one of the very first things that we talked about um, in my therapy work was objectification and that I didn't feel that I belonged to myself anymore. I felt that I belonged to the world. Wow. So how did you get you back for you? <sighs> A lot of hard work. Yeah. Are you still in the process of that? Um, I'm, I'm past that part. I, I feel that I belong to myself now, and I feel also that I belong to the world. And I've made peace with those things, and I think, and I'm happy with them. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it takes the hard work the same way that this book is hard work. Yeah. Meaning you have to go in and you got to really answer those questions. Like, don't be, don't be crafty. Don't try to get a good score. 
I thought some people, we learned a lot by watching people do it today because I think for some people, it's the first time they've ever actually asked themselves that question, some of these questions, and it takes time to actually think about what your true answers are. And, and also, the ego. Yes. It's got to go. Because the ego just wants to score high. The, oh, the ego wants to win the test. Oh, A yes. plus. I'm perfect. Yes. Nope, don't do it. You're doing yourself a major disservice. Go in there and answer those questions authentically and then study them and radically accept your score. This is where I am. And wherever you are... That's where you're supposed to be right now. It's where you're supposed to be right now, and then you can actually problem solve. You cannot problem solve if you're lying to yourself. See, I got to a place where I didn't know who I was anymore, so I broke. My, my brain shut off, mm. right? But once I started to get to know myself again, I was able to... You know, Why didn't knobs. you know yourself anymore? Is it because you've given so much of yourself to the little monsters, to your fans, to the world, to your work? I just didn't stop moving. I just was moving and moving and working and working and dancing through insurmountable pain. And I will say it took years for me to be diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And even if you ask my psychiatrist, he doesn't even refer to it as that. He'll call it neuropathic pain or a trauma response. So I was going to the doctor all the time, getting like my whole body x-rayed, MRI'd, everything, for someone to tell me something was wrong. Like, tell me I have a herniated disc or something. And they couldn't find anything. And it was so, so frustrating. So I was also on tour dancing in excruciating pain. And I, I wasn't properly medicated. And I wasn't in therapy. And so what were you telling yourself? I was afraid I was going to die. So you're performing on stage in front of thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And every night going to bed thinking you were going to die. Yeah. And you lived that way for how long? I would say I lived that way... <sighs> for about five years. That's so sad. And I radically accept those five years mm. because they made me who I am. Yeah. I get that. I get that, but it also feels Gaga, so lonely. You know, I think we live in this Instagrammed world where everybody wants to be famous and they want to post their lives as they want us to think that it is. And this idea of what your life is like and what we see and what we've been exposed to about you. People think, oh gosh, I would just love to have that life. You can't have this life unless you're willing to have every part of this life, including the rape, right? Yep. You have to have ev take, it, take it all. Well, including and, the rape and also no one wanting to help me. Yes. You know, in an industry where everyone has someone on each other, so no one wants to help you out. Really? Oh, yeah. No one wanted to help me. No one wanted to help me go after that person. Um, 
put that person where they belong, which is jail. Yeah. And um, I'm not ashamed of it, but I, you know, through the whole Me Too movement, have made the personal choice not to say who it is mm -hmm. because I choose to not relive it. And that's my personal choice, and I hope that the world respects yes. that. But let's talk about the loneliness for a moment. I think everybody has this um, assumption that if you're famous, you're always surrounded by people who are doing things for you, and you're being supported and nourished and given everything that people imagine in their lives they would want for themselves. But it's also <laughs> a lonely journey. It's, it's, it's lonely. And when you have chronic pain, it's extra lonely because it's just you that has it. And you can't make someone else feel it. You feel completely alone. And let me tell you something. I might be famous, but if you think that someone's bringing me caviar all day, they're more likely to be giving me a bowl of ice to dunk my head in so I don't have a dissociative state. Mm. So my friends that I work with, I don't ever say that people work for me. They take care of me every single day so that I can be healthy and do my work, do what I love. And also because they so much believe in my mission and for all of them that are here today, I would like to thank you so much for what you have done for me, my, my second family, so that I can be here with Oprah and talk to you about this importance of self-care and shine a light on something that is so important. Let's be radical. Let's change things. So you had radical acceptance and what you just mentioned, looking at yourself from the point of view of, I just said to a reporter yesterday, giving more love to yourself. How did you learn to move from radical acceptance to radical love for yourself first? Well, you know, some days are better than others. Some days I have lots of self-love. Some days I have less. Some days I have lots of self-confidence. Some days I have less. But I had to radically just accept that that every day can be different and that's okay. It doesn't mean we're not moving forward. If you, you know, in therapy, they say sometimes when you take three steps forward, you might also take one step back. What's important is to try to keep tabs on making sure that if you take two steps forward, you don't also t do something that takes you 10 steps backwards at the same time. So, you know, my practice and my commitment is is gratitude and gratitude even in the midst of the pain gratitude even in the midst of the pain i do this all the time i will be laying on my porch in pain crying and i will say thank you god for this pain thank you i surrender it to you this is this pain is meant for me and my body right now i'm here in this moment and i'm learning thank you for teaching me Wow. Amen to that. So what's the things that you do on a regular basis to keep yourself whole? Medication. So you're medicated all the time. Yes, every day. Every day. 
What's your ritual? If I took my pillbox out, it would sound like a rattle. Like a baby rattle. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but it's kind of funny. And, and has the... But I'm healthier than I've ever been. Oh. My, in my whole life. Does the medication affect your creative process at all? It does not affect my creative process. I don't take anything that does. Um, when I get further down the road of creating this epicenter of mental health and healing, I will share more with the world on a scientific level so what you're these not, medicines are. You're not on pain medication. I take no narcotics at all. No pain med no, no. Yeah. If I, if I call my doctor and I'm in a lot of pain, and I say, I, 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 I need something to take this pain away. It's just too much. It's been, you know, it's been 11 days. It's been 11 days. He, he says, well, you can go to the hospital and you can ask them to give you pain medication. And then I'm going to tell them no. And it's what they're going to give you is already in your purse. So just go to your purse and take your medication mm -hmm. and be in pain in the privacy of your own home. And he, he doesn't mean it to be not nice to me. It's just that. This is how we keep me safe, you know? And this is how I want to keep the world safe as well. I don't want people in pain taking pain medication. This is not the way that this is going to work. People will become addicted. And th there, is, there is a correlation between mental health and chronic pain. And mental health is the biggest crisis in the world, right? So <laughs> what's happening is, is while mental health is the biggest health crisis that we have, right? There's also chronic neuropathic pain being produced by this. So I want to just be clear, because I don't want people leaving here today saying, you know, she's on drugs. I want to be very clear. So you're on antidepressants? I'm on antidepressants. I am on a, um, a medicine called methylcarbamol. And I am on an antipsychotic called olanzapine. And I take a few other things that are uh, stress-based. Yeah. Um, but I want to be very careful about saying any of this, you know, in a public way to tell anyone what to take. You know, this is not, um, it's not the same for everyone. So I want to be very clear that if you feel that you need help, you need to go to a psychiatrist and you need to be properly evaluated by that psychiatrist so that you can get the help that you truly need. What I take is not necessarily what you need to take. And did you have to go through a series of different drugs until you got the right one? Because I know a lot of yes. times I've been Yes, I did. I did. I had to go through a series. Um, and actually, uh, one that helped me the most was a, a, a drug called modafinil. I don't know if anyone knows that drug, but um, uh, it's a... Uh, it, it's, it, in the morning, when I wake up, I'm in, I'm in tremendous pain most of the time. And it just kind of uh, turns the lights on. And my brain just kind of wakes up. And then before I know it, the pain starts to dissipate a little bit. So. But no narcotics. No narcotics. No pain pills. No pain pills. No Xanax. Not even a Xanax. Not even a Xanax. <laughs> Okay. I'm not judging you. Okay, don't. <laughs> I mean, we could we could offline have a conversation about other drugs that are better than Xanax, okay, maybe. Okay, but listen, I only, I started taking Xanax after my dog, Luke, 
was we needed Luke to take Xanax to fly because he was like a wreck flying. And it calmed him, so I thought, I might need one of those. Yeah. So when I'm traveling. You, traveling or when you sign your tax returns, probably. When, when I'm traveling. <laughs> no. no. When I'm traveling and I'm in various time zones I can't get to sleep, I take a ha half of one of Luke's pills. You, you looked at me with such shame in your eyes. There is no shame. Okay, okay, I'm just Xanax. telling you. It's okay. Okay, good. There's okay, no shame. Like, I have my baby rattle, okay? okay? And you have your Xanax, and we all need our things. I, okay? I don't call it Xanax. I call it Luke's Pills. Luke's <laughs> Because <laughs> my dog was named Luke. Oh, my Luke's Luke. Pills. Anyway. No, no shame. No shame. No shame. No shame. Actually, that is very important because, look, it might be a process, you know, and you might have to try this and then try that. But the important thing is that you're working with someone that's an expert in medicine. So please, when you leave here today, having heard from me about this or anyone that's watching this later, you know, please leave no, knowing that I'm sharing my personal experience with you, but I am not prescribing you. For and sure. I, and we got I, that, right? You understand? Yes. I, okay. And I am not at liberty to prescribe you. I just am sharing my story, and I have an unorthodox box of medication, and uh, it has changed my life. So 